Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter Method of Rationality podcast. Wait, analysis podcast. Wait. Man, it's been a while since okay. you totally ruined an, an intro, right? It's, you know, in my defense. It, and these, I'm, are, I'm these recently, are our last few opportunities to ruin them, so. Yeah. And in my defense on this one, I forgot that it was Tuesday because I took the week off, and it doesn't take long for me to forget what part of the week it is. And I donated a pint of blood like two blood. hours ago. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not operating on all cylinders. But we'll see how we roll through this one. So. Anyway, yeah, I'm Stephen Zuber. Pressure. I'm Brian Deacon. Howdy. Hey, Brian. So hey. we are beginning the aftermath chapters. Yeah, it really does it, feel like I didn't like sink in in the last chapters that like, I guess I knew, but it wasn't like, you know, I didn't stop to think about like, oh, this is the big, you know, final climactic yada yada. And now we're doing the like wind down and the like all of the consequences of the things that have happened. So it's like, yeah, this is uh this is bringing all that stuff Land- home. It's kind of like, I think the, uh, Landing the Azkaban arc was a really good, like mid season finale. Um, yeah. <laughs> it had, it had the same sort of thing where it did the kind of aftermaths, you know, here's what happened yeah. over here. Here's what happened over here. And I really like those. Empire, those it was the Empire Strikes Back because it. it was also dark. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. There's uh actually I'll save that factoid for another episode. So, all right. We should just jump right in. I'll let you do most of the talking. Yeah. Um, what do you think of these? Th- I mean, do you want to high on blood loss? That's right. <laughs> I know. I guess, and we were just saying this right before we got on air because I still haven't learned the lesson that uh, I shouldn't talk to you about the book until we're recording. Um, but that, like, I can't. My my bigger impression of these chapters is like my takeaway of uh, in my notes. I call them a fuck stick. Like, what an asshole, <clears throat> coral slash. Voldemort is and the weird uh, like admiration that other characters and I think also just the, the impression I've got of like other readers have of him that <clears throat> I guess like sort of what I've been thinking about is like how is my impression as like an you know an outsider to the community um, like like it, it seems like that like that is I think one's view of like how they relate, you say, okay, this is, you know, a book about rationality. And if you see that as like, oh, I am a rationalist and this is the story of my people, um, then the way you're going to. You might, you might be laying it on a little thick, but whatever. <laughs> that was a little, yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, in a way less obnoxious, dramatic way. But no, if you think like, okay, this is like, this is pertinent to my interests. Like if it's, you know, if it, if, if, if you feel like you are among that group, then I think like how then you're going to see all of these characters as sort of reflections of things you already understand about kind of like just that community thing, which isn't at all a bad thing uh, inherently with that. But yeah, so I think like as like not coming in with any of that kind of predisposition of just kind of like being already favorably disposed to everything, I think then there's like different yardstick like different criteria about like what is and isn't okay and that's what's been and it's and it seems and it was kind of the difference with my impression of it reading this time this the extent of kind of the um stockholm syndrome with quarrel didn't in these chapters feel like oh everybody's imagining it like this did feel like oh it's in the story like harry really does and other people really do admire that the full thing that Quirrell was not just some like edited version of it. And so that to me kept sticking. I was like, okay, this is just weird. Like it's creepy. Like it's unhealthy people, but (laughs) I I don't, but like it's there. I don't think like, that's not like being imagined. I think like 
you know, Yudkowsky was thinking it too. On some level, it's like it's more complicated with uh, you, you, it's, you can't really like pigeonhole Yudkowsky on any of these things. But I think there's a couple things like so you know I hadn't uh, I, I think even really heard the term rationalist before I picked up this book. Yeah. Um, this I was going to ask you about and, that, yeah, because I was curious yeah. about that. Yeah, this was the the order that it went in was I uh, at some point in high school came across uh, the Skeptoid podcast. I strongly recommend it. He does an episode every Tuesday uh, for like the last 13 or 14 years. Um, And uh, somewhere along the way, I found the Rationally Speaking podcast and they would do like at the end, they would do their their pick of the week for like whatever story or uh, TV show or whatever piqued their their interest and uh, Julia Galef plugged this book and I was able to make a note of it and weeks or months later got around to starting it and loved it. And I think the, so that was, and then that was my introduction to the community. So like, it wasn't like I was already any more predisposed from having already drank the Kool-Aid uh, before going in. It was just that I found that I enjoyed the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> it sounds like, like think, it was already kind of like, it was a little bit your jam. Like you weren't. Oh yeah. It was just, totally my jam. I just hadn't, yeah. I hadn't found it yet. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think that like, you know, with, with Quirrell, it's, it's a lot like how, um, you know, everybody who knows Sherlock is bummed when he dies. Right. Even though he's an abusive asshole to everybody in his life. Like there's some people still found it like, Oh no, you know, it's, I guess the, the main difference is that we don't see a lot of like uh, those moments of, you know, secret compassion that Sherlock gives yeah. people close to him. Uh, yeah, because you really believe with like Quirrell slash Voldemort, and it's funny. Like towards the end, I really am starting like he has this like kind of half Quirrell, half Voldemort slot in my head. Um, but but yeah, like there's no like my impression of him is it's just like literally not there. It's not like oh he's you know mostly an asshole. He's like he just like is completely missing that how to be a human part of him. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, but like, it seems I, I, even Harry, but even Harry doesn't even really see it that way because Harry's like, oh, there's this like humanity to be saved in him, and that was the like the weird disconnect for me was like, oh, you know, I'm very much seeing this like differently. Um, I think that he sees Quirrell as you know a a version of himself that he could have been, and so like he just knows from his own lived experience that like there is a way to be you and be happy because that's who I am. So maybe his his circumstances are unique. I was going to draw a parallel between like uh, Watson and Holmes, but uh, you know Watson's kind of Holmes's protege, that sort of thing, and was obviously you know upset when when he dies yeah. and all that. Um, that's kind of a, so that's kind of a there, good parallel. And I think, yeah, and then, but, I was, was going to say there's that to be there, like, but you could occasionally see like uh, you know actual humanity in Holmes. So, but it's a good parallel. It's just like you know less of an extreme. But yeah, but yeah, yeah like I, that, that stuff that you don't like about Holmes, you kind of don't like that for exactly the same reason. Like, like I think the other main ingredient, human. yeah, I think that the other main ingredient is that like most people at Hogwarts didn't see the like I don't know if you want to call it the abusive relationship style that he gave with Harry, right? Yeah, um, he kind of did like that to, with to them. He, he he was Just he was standoffish time. or like intense or whatever. But I don't know, like the the bit at like the Christmas, because that comes up uh, at the end of this chapter, the Christmas wish that he, he granted, um, you know, like there was like a uh, moments of, I don't know, levity and stuff in that. And that's, that's like his, his face and persona to the rest of the school. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, granted it was a, it was a, largely a speech about the, 
the merits of fascism, <laughs> but he makes he makes a compelling point, and for the small wizarding world, I think that he had a, a strong case to be made there. That, but not not that I'm necessarily on his side, but I see exactly where he's coming from. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that there was a bit where, uh, oh yeah, where there the other two generals band you know band up together against Harry because they're going to be against traitors, and uh, Quirrell's has some remark about that to Harry because Harry says he'll still accept traitors. And then he says, you know, but do be nice to the traitors up until this point. They were just having fun. And like, yeah. I think that the, yeah, the see, audience that, yeah. that or something. And yeah. like, it's just like, you know, little moments of, of apparent humanity to everyone else. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you could see it that way. And I, and I get your point. Like the other way to look at that though, is like the charming psychopath. Like, cause it does, cause those things never played to me as having sort of any like warmth or sincerity behind them. They were just said for effect. Well, I think that's because you went in, you know, like with the with the back knowledge that oh, this is this guy is Voldemort. So like it's it's different to everyone else who has no reason to think that Professor Quirrell is Voldemort. Um, they they see it as, uh, I mean, it, it could, I mean, I guess it literally was the charming psychopath thing because uh, yeah. that's who Voldemort is. But if you don't know that you're dealing with a psychopath, you just think you're dealing with a charming guy, right? Um, yeah, and that's what's hard for me. Like, it's hard for me to like step back and see. Okay, how like how was my the way I came? You know, just the perspective I had coming at this. Like, how would that differ um, from just like just coming at it? It's especially for a lot of a lot of people. If you come at it knowing that it's this sort of like like there's an excited community of people all around it, and so you do get like not at all in a bad way. Just this sort of sense of like, oh, this is a thing that you know, capital W, we are doing. Um, and then I think like you're, you're kind of automatically like going to look more sympathetically at, um, especially because he did like push a lot of the buttons of like things that would be appealing to a nerd, especially like in that, just that like hyper competence thing. Like that's so appealing that you're going to kind of, I know you get a lot of what you hear people just going, well, you know, it's not that bad. Which then like, if you do step back, that like totally sounds like some, you know, abused girlfriend. Yeah, Doctor House is another good example there too, right? Um, you know, he, he's abusive and mean to everybody in his life, and yet you root for him for five years, then wish they'd cancel the show until they eventually did two years later. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's the he sort of thing. Like where, he has that Sherlock Holmes thing though, where you like you believe there's like some benevolence hiding underneath all of that shitty behavior, and you know, like he definitely didn't have that with Quirrell. Yeah, I think. Like the the students, I think just saw you know this. They finally got a good education. They got a guy who seemed actually invested in their future. And Professor McGonagall thought that she had the century's second strongest hero. Uh, you know, teaching her class, she thought that it was David Monroe. So like, it's uh, so so she's understandably you know missing him. I imagine that David Monroe's public persona was uh you know, endearing enough to the public that he was liked, right? And charming and highly competent. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of highly competent, there's got to be a way to tie in the seekers from Quidditch in there somewhere. Because <clears throat> that's that's yeah. kind of what Anna, uh, who's our point of view for this chapter, through her head, she's sitting there thinking about um, the history like, of the snitch. Yeah, and slicing and dicing all of the permutations of what it would you know, if we change the rules. Right. So I think that her takeaway is that, no, no, it makes more sense just to make the snitch faster. So the games last longer, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, it's a different solution, which is fun than, you know, taking it away entirely. 
and having the game unexpectedly end was always like to, to them was the exciting thing. There was also a funny throw, kind of throwaway line in here, which was uh, it didn't matter if Headmistress Hufflepuff had introduced the innovation because one of her students had wanted to play the game but ended up suited to, <laughs> to the usual roles, <laughs> such as the Connor International. Uh, and because he wanted but a participation it, trophy. Right. But the funny thing was when Harry first heard about how the snitch worked, he was like, who was the first seeker? The king's idiot son? <laughs> and it wasn't yes. exactly that. It was nicer than that. But it was half right. <laughs> but it was close. And I like the like thoroughly believable, like running off into the weeds politics of, you know, everybody can agree that the rules are kind of stupid and need to need to be fixed. But then everybody's going to, you know, back into their own selfish little corners. And what, because the Belgians wanted to be a two hour game and the... <clears throat> Like all the dumb little ways that people want to assert their selfish interests. I mean, played very believably. I don't know. I, I, from a sports perspective, as someone who doesn't watch a lot of sports, I do think that like it'd be hard to appreciate a game if it might last a minute and a half, or if it might last three days. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I just, just even you know, from the if you're the kind of person who. Uh, like makes a fantasy football team, you know, who watches the stats, your favorite players. Like, how do you give a shit about anybody when there's a good chance in every game they won't do anything? It, it just a, it seems uh, like a bad sport. I had a friend in college who was really into baseball, actually baseball and basketball. But I guess one of the things he told me, like, uh, like now our kind of concept of like between football and baseball is that like football's a little more like rough um but that they because football like came from rugby that like that football was more like classist and hoity-toity and baseball was like working class and like part of the big thing was that there's no clock at this point anyone who wants to laugh should google george carlin baseball and football he had a great comparison in like one of his uh 1980s sketches oh you know that sounds familiar yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was like, like that was kind of the point that like, Oh, we're on the clock all the time, but this is, this is our time. And so it was like a feature that the game potentially could go on forever. Oh, in baseball, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. If, all you have to do is stay tied and the game never ends. <laughs> yeah. I think that they have a reliable timeline just because it takes an average of however long to do it. Yeah. I think I like ours, but then I, I can remember there've been some like weirdly, you know, out there, games that went on for like hours and hours and hours. I want to say something like an eight-hour game or something. That's another George Carlin joke where he was saying that if you could make a change to baseball, it'd be that if you hit the batter with the ball, the batter's out. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you get two really good pitchers, you could be in and out of the stadium in 30 minutes. (laughs) And and then then they would start to wear pads. (laughs) It's like the armor. They come out in a full suit of armor. I would watch that sport. (laughs) Let's see. Oh, yeah. So in the back of, of Hannah's or uh, Anna's mind, there was this funny thing, too, that it says um, she was aware in the back of her mind that if the Quidditch rules really did change the, starting here and now, then this was the most important thing she'd ever do. She could almost feel the pressure of time twisting around her as the fate of Quidditch itself were being settled this very day. And she was standing close to the center of it <laughs> and like all of that excitement. And, you know, it. on the one hand, it's it's. Uh, like just this funny thing because like the actual most important thing in the world right now is happening like four miles uh-huh. southeast of Hogwarts. And yet, uh, like it, I don't want to belittle, you know, not everyone involved in the world's most important thing. So this is just her version of the most important thing. Right. I got to think uh, that was there for like us nerd, like the, the benefit of us nerds that don't totally don't get the whole sports thing. Be like, yeah, this is kind of stupid, huh? I took it 
more charitably than that. I'm not sure. Really? No, I was just sort of like poking fun at it. That's what, at least that's how I took it. Just but but I'm already sympathetic to that one. I, I think that I think for me the, the fun for me the fun bit was just that like it, it's fine to like enjoy sports and think they're important, but like the the fact that in her head italicized with this that this was this was the most important thing she'd ever do in mm-hmm. the time twisting around it and like just to, you know like I said a few miles away you know the. Voldemort, you know, the world ending threat Voldemort, who mm-hmm. is trying to subvert a prophecy of the fated end of the world. And it's like, she's like, oh, yeah, no, changing Quidditch. Um, <laughs> I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been, you know, getting an A on an exam or something. Just the fact that her her less globally impacting scope was the most important thing. Again, not putting that down, I took it as kind of just a lighthearted thing. Yeah, it's a good time. I took but it yeah. as a lighthearted thing that that was that benefited from my, my sympathizing with totally not getting sports. Yeah, I wonder how tropey that is. I've met some nerds who enjoy sports, yeah. but and, and like I've I've when I go to games, I enjoy them. Uh, not so much baseball games, like unless you're going to sit there and hang out with your friends. But um, I've I went to a couple of uh, basketball games when I was in college. And like they're fast-paced and exciting. It. Yeah, basketball. Like I guess basketball is a little better. It's like there's too much scoring in basketball, so there's never any like buildup of tension. At least there's only one score, ball. score, score, score. <laughs> I think yeah, being so. there is the key for me. But like at the end of the day, like I don't know any of the numbers, like of of you know player eleven, whatever their name is, or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I never yeah. keep track of any of that stuff. But I, I enjoy the spectacle of like you know watching athletes go at it. So and um, hot dogs. And hot dogs. I've not hot dog in it's gotta be at least a couple of years by this point. Weirdly, I just had one a few days ago. Nice. Not like a not like a proper like uh, that like I, I made a hot dog in my kitchen. Oh, that's boring. Yeah, <clears> you know, need one of those eight hundred calories. I know. I know, right? You yeah, eventually dog. we'll go outside again. Where were we? Oh yeah. And then, so so she she's she's caught up with the the time bending importance of the Quidditch uh um fates and she barely notices when the boy who lived goes to the bathroom and then comes back looking a little bit tired and wobbly yeah and then half an hour later on he's swaying and his hands cover his forehead and he's prodding at his scar and i, I guess at this point he's picking at it to make it bleed yeah you saw, yeah i read this as sort of like a kind of like yeah he actually is kind of like messed up but that that was mostly theater because then he has to sort of like make his scar bleed and and look all fucked up I like his uh, his performance here when he's shouting about what's going on. I know he said it was like very Trelawney. He sounded like Trelawney. He's like, "Oh no, I see. He's she has risen." He even like tried to sound all pro- you know prophecy ish the way he was talking about uh, the Dark the Lord rises. Voldemort is returned. It is returned. And I, I think that As yeah, it's says. it's it's over the top and in all caps italics so that it it's. Mm-hmm. It's prophecy style speak and that it's like, I think what he's doing here is like cultivating an air of, uh, I don't know, thematic importance. I, I'm not, I'm not well, particularly like that the, right. This is the, this is the, this is the way that everybody would want to hear it. Like, and you know, if he says it, if he just said like, oh, I saw Voldemort just got killed. Like people would be like, that's not how <laughs> no. prophecies work. And nobody would buy it. <laughs> you need to speak in inverted English in a deeper tone. Yeah. So <laughs> I just imagine him calmly, like going to Professor McGonagall, and be like, "Hey, uh, I think this just happened," and uh, ex- calmly explaining it. Yeah, that maybe like over he, there, he I think. To, wanna, maybe want to go over the graveyard. I think. I don't know. Yeah, right. he, he needs what to is. sell the spectacle to everybody, mm-hmm. right? Yes. 
it then- did strike me as weird because sort of like it was a kind of a strange clash between how we get to see later Harry being very kind of sincerely all kind of fucked up about what he did. Well, also like trying to tell himself also sincerely, like you didn't have a choice. Um, like the, the contrast between that and the way he's being like totally manipulative during these parts for something that he's like decided is necessary. And the way he's just kind of like jerking everybody around with this like very long thought out, you know, scam he's gonna pull on everybody in the way he like arranged the whole thing so it's kind of a like a weird like he's being both super de- deceptive and like really sincere yeah i think at this point he sees himself not doing it he sees not not just not doing harm but like doing an act of good he yeah. is setting he, he's he's letting the world know by the way Voldemort is no longer a threat in a way that they'll find believable yeah. and setting up hermione to be this important figure involved in that and at the same time, explaining how she's not dead anymore. Um, I wonder. And then, like, like later, he's actually dealing with the fact that he killed people, which made me regret when I, during the scene with the um, the unbreakable vow, I shouldn't have mentioned that. I thought that that was uh, um, Lucius Malfoy. I, oh, I should have yeah, left no. that that left that yeah, hammer to drop because what was fun is I remember reading this. Like, oh, I, I think, think I, I think I already was assuming. That Lucius was there, so when they See, all I died, that- I was like, "Okay, yeah, Lucius is among the people that just died." I think I didn't. I guess that that would have just, regardless of like having specific evidence about it, that would have just been kind of an assumption. Like all named uh, Death Eaters were there, except Snape. I think I, I would have had the same. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember my initial read. I'm, I'm assuming it was probably the same, like as a background thought. But I don't know if I ever pro, like promoted to conscious attention the fact that like, oh yeah, he just killed his friend's dad. And yeah. oh man, he yeah, just killed like these other students' parents. Yeah, so like all like that hit me really well when we get to that chapter next, where like there's the rising panic and the no 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 in yeah. the in the text. yeah I can't because and I it was yeah before they even brought up Draco like I was I mean it was like right before I think but it was like oh shit yeah like how's that gonna work um, yeah Heavy yeah and I was shit. wondering I was just wondering like how would this have played out because it's not, I mean, it would be, it would, it would have its problems, but it's not completely out of the question that Harry would try to hide nothing and just tell everybody everything. And how would that play out? Including Quirrell was Voldemort and he resurrected Hermione and I fucking executed 37 child molesters. I'm really happy with that metaphor once I landed on it. Um, <laughs> but like, because and like as he's walking through all of that, you know, in his own head, he saw it like all of it was necessary. So it would it would have problems being sold, but but it's it it occurs to me like it's not what he did was defensible, and it seems I wonder how that what would have been the consequences if he tried to hide nothing. That's a good question. I it's fun to it speculate about. Yeah, no, I'm sure he'd get away with it legally. Yeah, like, I think how, that, many, how many people can you kill in self-defense? Is it, 37, is it, <laughs> 37 plus Satan, is that is that too many? I wonder if, uh, I mean, I, I think that that he'd probably get away with it legally. I think the, the hard part would be like being known by everybody as the guy who was able to ruthlessly and yeah, uh, really without hesitation kill three dozen people. And uh, kill like super powerful. Yeah, because he would be the kid, like regardless of, I guess we're sort of saying that he just basically executed all Death Eaters, but there probably still would have been some 
lingering about. And even non-Death Eaters, like these were all super powerful people who would have other super powerful non-Death Eater friends. So he would, would suddenly have made a whole bunch of enemies. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, every Death Eater was probably killed or, you know, all the ones that could attend or whatever, which I'm assuming is yeah. most of them, but not every Death Eater sympathizer, yeah. right? Not every family member of every Death Eater was there. So yeah, he would have made a very long enemy list right away. Yeah. Oh, Anita and all their kids. He would suddenly be his blood enemies for the rest of their lives. So yeah. Yeah. Cause so yeah. Okay. So, so probably not the best move. I can see why he kept it under wraps. Yeah. Excellent. Probably, probably a solid move. Um, yeah, I guess other than that, but I guess like to all other good guys, and be like, okay, yeah, that was fucked up, but okay, I guess, yeah, okay, yeah, they were going to kill you, and he was Voldemort, and you didn't have a choice. All right. Yeah, I wonder. I guess we'll see if there's anything like that where he tells anybody. Um, I would like to that think is that. The, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Like, well, you know, but I wonder. Like, is he going to tell Draco? He can't. He can't because, like, if he lets that secret out, then yeah. Because yeah. if Draco pops off, Draco would then tell every Death Eater kid and like square one. So yeah, I think he's and I think if he doesn't tell Draco, that's going to bother him quite a bit. Yeah, that's mm, a be pretty that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get some resolution there. It'd be really mm-hmm. funny if we went the rest of the story without talking about Draco Malfoy. Like, eh. What else? Yeah. Um let's see. So yeah, he he sets up the whole uh I still like summarize like people haven't read the book, but whatever. <laughs> it's the only way to keep the conversation in any sort of flow. Right. Um, he sets up the uh, Hermione's back, and then uh, then that then that's when the the dynamite balloon explodes, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "It worked. She it got it. Happened. He's gone." Yeah. And it's like, "Wait, what? You know, Harry, what the fuck? You know, calm down. Or everyone, shut up, <laughs> Harry. What mm-hmm. happened?" And He's like, look, Voldemort tried to revive. He summoned his Death Eaters and he killed all of them. And then Hermione, Hermione's body was there. And then she followed him back from the dead and killed him. And it's that way. And I remember thinking as I was reading this, like, I was kind of key to the plot at this point that Harry is an Aquaman's because this is a huge pile of bullshit. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't it's, know if it's McGonagall. a solid alibi for this after the fact. Yeah, McGonagall knows that he has a time turner and, you know, somebody would notice that he got up and left the game. But I think that, I don't know if she'd try and read his mind at this moment, even if she could, but she might later, right? So uh, being able to not have your mind read seems like kind of just like a, a general background thing that anyone who wants to do anything interesting in the magical world ought to do, ought to learn how to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be a, it would be a serious handicap to always be at the mercy of any mind reader. I wonder if you can be an Occlumens at age 11. Granted, he's not an average 11-year-old, but yeah. it's got to be doable for an average, you know, let's say teenager. I wonder if you can be a subtle Legilimens at that age and, like, if you could try and yeah. steal, like, test answers from your teachers <laughs> if that was your goal, right? Yes. Or even just, like, uh-huh. with your friends, you know, read each other's thoughts while you're doing while you're taking a test. Like, Playing I don't know. poker. <laughs> Man, they can't have uh, casinos in Magical Britain, uh-huh. can they? Oh, they, no, they just have like super powerful, prob- probably done by goblins, uh, spells that, you know, make everybody suddenly lose any kind of powers in that way. Yeah. Check your wands at the door. Check your wands at the door. Everyone has to wear sunglasses so no one can look at each other's eyes. Goblin with like antenna on his head that's just giving you the stink eye and keeping you. <laughs> put, he's putting the kibosh on your mental powers. Oh, yeah. And that reminds me, that's uh, so. McGonagall does the sensible thing and tries to summon Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. 
and as you put, the Patronus acts like a sad Pokemon, and I put in the crying <laughs> Pikachu picture. I know because she's like, "Go to Albus Dumbledore," and he's like, "No, he's he's gone." And she's like, "No, go." And then the, so the Patronus just has to kind of look at her and go, "I can't, I can't hmm. do anymore." So let's see. Am I going to keep doing the summarizing? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, so and then basically, like Harry just like plot dumps on them kind of everything he tells them okay yeah quarrel was there quarrel died fighting Voldemort. well like fake plot dumps he lie dumps on them um he's like yeah Voldemort was there he summoned all of his death eaters and then killed them all to use you know as a blood sacrifice to bring him bring himself back from the dead and then and then what i thought was interesting was like pretty vague about how things worked with hermione he's like oh and then like hermione came back and he kind of doesn't describe unless I missed it. I don't, he doesn't describe that in any kind of detail at all. And especially doesn't describe like how Hermione defeated him. No, it just that is. Yeah. yeah, He, he, he followed Voldemort back from the, or she followed Voldemort back from the dead and then he died. Yeah. It was super vague. Yeah. Which was interesting, but yeah. So he says like, okay, quarrel. um, It's it's almost as thematically satisfying as hearing that a baby vanquished the dark Lord over his love. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at least that was like a little more like they didn't even that was at least described as just some sort of like you know you know magical blow, blow up or something like there wasn't it was kind of mysterious as to the reasons why but you at least like knew what it was or it was like sort of explicit that nothing did like there wasn't anything that happened it was just he cast the spell and it blew up back in his face and that's we were sort of like at least given that like that's all there is to it but this is like we're yeah, not even really sure happen? what the hell happened well yeah but but at least we know that like okay but that's all there's like this we're not even really sure what happened except that that Voldemort's hands ended up like just wrapped around her neck which then <laughs> reminds me of that opening scene to the boys where his girlfriend's uh oh god yeah these, <laughs> like you just have these like disembodied refined claw hands wrapped around Hermione's neck everyone should watch um, the book bo- I mean it's it's but the, the the even the gore in it is like has this macabre. It's pretty, it's pretty over the top. Yeah, I just actually I'm down to the last episode. Nice of the second season. So it's, yeah, it's really good actually. Yeah, like the and this isn't at all spoiler because happens in the first ten minutes, the first episode. But like he's with his girlfriend, the our protagonist. I forget his name, and he she's like steps out into the street and he's like holding her hands, and then she just blows up and like she's splattered all over him and all over the sidewalk. And like this universe's version of the Flash, like turns around and like Speed briefly slows down. It's like, oh, sorry, oh, and just keeps on running. And he's just holding her hands. <laughs> so, like it's horrifying, and it, but it's also like I said, just this kind of this grim humor. Um, so yeah, that's how uh, that's how Hermione killed Voldemort. Obviously, some speed shenanigans. She came back from the dead too fast. <laughs> yes, and yes, I wanted you to read this part of your notes. Where McGonagall wants to stick over to the cemetery, and then oh, <laughs> now because they've just realized that Dumbledore is sort of effectively dead, um, and so now the uh, the rules of succession are that uh, McGonagall is now the headmistress. Um, so she's like, "No, I got to go over to the cemetery." And Flitwick kind of comes over. He's like, "No, you can't now because you know it's sort of like oh, we can't have you on Air Force One at the same time." No, can't do, Madam just, President. No can't do, Madam President. And so she's like, "Ah, shit." Um, I really dug uh, McGonagall in these scenes because it was like ev- everything we already like about McGonagall was like, "Yes," and this is the time you need a McGonagall. Like she just like takes care of shit. 
Um, yeah, she she gets shit done in a way that like I mean this is all obviously very distressing news to hear that oh my god the Dark Lord's back and you know people are dead and Hermione but she doesn't sit there wring her hands for a second yeah. she's just like broomstick I need to get over there like let's yeah. let's do this she's like yeah the best way to take every care of everybody I'm responsible for right now is to not take any bullshit from anybody and let's just get shit taken care of I love McGonagall she's the yeah, best she's cool she's dope. So yeah, so she says, so she said, okay, fine, Flitwick, you get on the broom, you go over there and then uh, go get Hermione and operate over to Mongo's and you guard her and Harry, you stay here because what the fuck, you don't need to be anywhere. Um, and then I figure, why does she say she's going to go? Why does she say she's going to no, go? Where, no, where does she say she's going? She's going to go to that, the exploding noise that just happened a few miles oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, Which is sort where of- Where Harry, Harry points and says it's in the graveyard, that direction. Mm-hmm. But she's not going to the graveyard because that's where she sends Flitwick. Well, so she's not going to go there. Um, she's just going to go to the because, explosion, but not all Because she can't at this point because, uh, like you said, she's the, the next in the line of succession. So, uh, so Flitwick's going to go, and I guess she's not going anywhere. So, yeah. And then – we just oh, and then she um, then having I don't remember if that's like right at the moment that Harry tells her or if it's just now that she's able to like process it. But then she goes in her whole thing about like oh my god, Quirrell died, and this is one of the things that stuck out to me. Just the the amount of affection people had for Quirrell. I'm like, really? He was such an asshole. Um, yeah, we touched that, on like, she was up on that. Um. Yeah, and then she's like, and then she does her like little magic voice boomy thing. She's like, okay, you know, shit's just really fucked up. We need to stop the Quidditch game. And that, that was another point I was confused by. Harry's like, no, you can't stop the Quidditch game. And I'm like, wait, what? And he says, this was Professor Quirrell's last plot. And that you had to explain that to me. I didn't understand what that was in reference to. So all I could sort of put together was like, okay, for some reason it's important to Harry that they not stop the Quidditch game, which is weird because Harry's attitude towards Quidditch isn't exactly super interested. Um, and then what does that have to do with Quirrell? You know, it. so there's two things there. One, it shouldn't take me five years to realize that the reason, so she's announcing Quidditch is over, go back to your dormitories. And then Harry screams, don't. And he looked like the interruption had surprised himself as much as it surprised anyone else. It occurs to me that he is so hell-bent on not interrupting the Quidditch game because the Quidditch game hadn't been interrupted. And he doesn't want students filing through the hallways while, like, oh. uh, yeah. So the game needs to go on. Just because so, he can't, like, rock the boat. Right. So right. the game needs to go on because it went on. And so the, that the makes sense too. Though, Except I'm not, like, convinced that that's really why that was there. Because it was a weird sort of emotional outburst. Because it felt like it was, it wasn't just like a panicked, like practical reason that, like, it felt like for some reason it was important to Harry, and that was, I mean, that is a good point though. It's, so I, I'm going to go. I like that since I just thought of it, and it seems like a a good explanation. That's but the sad. other, the other part too is sort of this honor, and this might be his his professed reason or his actual reason to honor the the plot of Professor Quirrell. So like at the the Christmas battle, uh, whoever had yeah, to I didn't remember this at all when you told me. I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. But yeah, go ahead. And, you know, I think that's going to be like a factor to keep in mind for, you know, people reading this who have, you know, read the whole story before maybe multiple times, like reading, I don't know, a thousand words every week is not usually, or wait, 10,000 words every week is not usually <laughs> people read books, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Th- this book does not take a year to read. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I, think I think it's very understandable that in 
whatever, six months ago, this, this detail slipped your mind. Um, yeah, well, so I think also, like so many of the people that are, especially if you're now listening to a podcast about a book that you've already read, like you've probably read it multiple times, like you have. Um, but then also I like the, uh, it's almost like, I sort of imagine what that whole experience was like when it happened, but like reading this thing as a team sport, there would be so many people like just kind of excitedly, you know, repeating details to each other. And so then I think sort of like the expectation and then especially because Yudkowsky was also able to witness that while it's happening, then I think like your the level of detail that you then have to start dialing things into, like suddenly gets a lot more kind of laser focused because you know, everything's under a microscope. Like nothing's going yeah. to somebody of the, of the hundred people talking about it. Somebody's going to remember every little thing. And I, I think for, if I had to guess, if I put myself in the other's shoes, I think that was part of the fun. Yeah. Um, but like, I, maybe this is the thing for any serial fiction that gets, gets traction, but like the only ones I've read, uh, I mean the Martian, I didn't read it when it was a serial fiction, but, but it was originally, which is why every chapter is a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. because you want to, I think it's probably back. even more like it wouldn't necessarily, it's not so much about so yeah, it would have to be serial, but I think also something that's got like that community built around it. Cause you could have things that serial where like, but people don't really give a shit enough to talk to each other about it. Um, right. But when yeah, you start it, getting it like to a, have conversations to happening around it every week. For sure. Uh, Wild Bo's uh, stories get that. Uh, the Parahumans ones were the ones that I read and uh, would occasionally look in on the Reddit threads for those. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, the plot thing was cause he promised to grant whatever wish for the Christmas battle. And so there's at least one person reading this who hasn't uh, read the book before. So, or listening to this who hasn't read oh, the book. Yeah. I just didn't. So, so yeah. Hey man. Um, so yeah, to refresh your memory too, it was uh, in the Christmas battle. He said he would grant a wish to whoever had the most uh, quarrel points. And then it was a three way tie between Harry, Hermione and Drago because of the awesomely convoluted plotting of Dumbledore and uh, Blaze Zabini. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Hermione and Draco both wished for their houses to win the house cup. And Harry wished for uh, for Hogwarts to play Quidditch without a snitch, and so this was kind of the the culmination of that. The Seekers, I think, just in this game, decided not to do anything, um, which was kind of their version of not playing with a switch or playing oh, okay. without a snitch. And then, but then, how do both um, both houses? Uh, Slyth- yeah, how do both? Yeah, how do they? Because I didn't see that. Because didn't it say that Slytherin won? Yeah, Slytherin wins at the end. If I had to guess, maybe it would have you know eventually just been you know called at whatever midnight or two in the morning and they're like all right you know what go home it's a tie mm-hmm. um at some point that's probably what would have happened but i guess in this case maybe because uh it says that there was now, no- is the promise that they would both win this year or that they would just both win eventually because uh, just like i mean that's that's a fair question there. yeah if you're uh if you're going to go for the kind of like, you know, monkey paw genie reading of it, then yeah, totally. Well, you didn't specify this year. Ravenclaw will win in the year 2249, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that if I had to guess, the goal was for the the game just to be called a tie and they would split the the winnings, these pointless trinkets that don't actually, you know, I guess trophies. People like trophies. Um, well, that means Hermione got screwed over. Yep. Although she's not dead, so she came out pretty good, you know? Yeah, I guess that's, that's true. And kind of immortal, so I guess that's pretty solid. That yeah, was she- something I was thinking uh, before we started recording that I was thinking, um, this is stepping way the hell back, but did Voldemort's whole you know, crazy amount of horcruxes he make, did he make it impossible for him to die? Not like, oh, you can't possibly kill me, but like if one day Voldemort says, I am like – 
tired of this shit and I am ready to no longer exist. It's been 8 million years and I'm done everything I want to do. Had he made it impossible to, for himself to die? I think so, which honestly sounds like a really bad which plan. scary. That's like yeah. horrifying. Because yeah, he's like, no, I don't want to be. Yeah, so I, Especially because like, okay, you could go around and find all your Horcruxes again. He's like, no, one of them he put on a fucking satellite and it's just fucking gone. Like, sorry. Yeah. And I don't know what the extents of magic are, but you know, if, if in a million years the thing's been pretty far away, I know. And, and that's where the face of Bo came from. The what? That's <laughs> from Doctor Who. The face of Bo is actually Captain Jack, I think. But uh, it's supposed to be this like okay. Then after millions of years, there's this guy who you don't know where he came from, and then it turns out he's actually some other guy from millions of years before. But he just turns into this like giant head with a face, hmm. and it's called the face of Bo. Um, but it turns out it's like it's Captain Jack from Torchwood. Is Jack is that his name? Captain? No, Captain Jack is Johnny Depp. I'm just thinking. I think, Jack, I think it's Jack Hartnett. <laughs> Maybe it is Captain Jack. I can't remember his name now. But like the main character from from Torchwood is like the Doctor Who spinoff. Uh, I guess the face of Bo is then like because time travel. Um, the face of Bo is that guy, but millions of years later, and instead of just being a human, he's this like eight foot tall face. All I can think of is sword on mystical shirt. <laughs> No, but yeah, see, that's it. And then Voldemort's not able to die. He goes completely insane and he just turns into some kind of like cryptic face thing that says deep shit to people that they don't understand. Yeah, that's not how I'd want to do it either. I think what I would want is to make it impossible to be killed and, you know, know leave like, the door open to check to out. Me, like, super critical to the whole deal is that you're not like locked into it. Like, you can change your mind whenever. You can change your mind whenever, but you don't have to ever. I mean, you know, Granted, he's got magic and stuff, so maybe he'd be able to stop it. But if he's not paying attention to the Muggle news, maybe he wouldn't hear that a meteorite is going to collide with the Earth in 2121 or something. And, yeah, yeah, and then he's just like floating out in space, bored as fuck, and can't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Fuck all that. He doesn't even have his magic when yeah. he yeah, just embodies. Yeah, see, yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a fucking nightmare. That's like hell. Yeah. And then, kind of like, like, and then come back in a million years. I guess like the uh, where his magic would come in is that he could just like – do mind fuckery on himself to make himself not mind. I think that when he was telling Harry <laughs> about his nine years, forget that I've been doing this for a million years. Right. I, I think that when he was oh, telling yeah. Harry about his nine years on the pioneer plaque, that he said that he didn't have his magic, that he, he said that if, like, I think there's a mm. sentence about if, if one day I regained my body and magic or something, which seems to imply that he can't cast spells when he's just a soul stick, you know, on a, on a golden plate. So, uh, I think that, you know, if he's lucky, an alien will pick up his Horcrux and he can have all kinds of fun ruining their planet. But <laughs> <laughs> that suddenly sounds like a uh, that's like a Ridley Scott plot right there. Yeah, I, like I wouldn't. Alien, I wouldn't the alien wizard like comes in on a satellite, and now your entire civilization's fucked. I'd watch that movie. I know it's like it's got a kind of a Cthulhu vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. especially the insane alien wizard who. I don't know. You know, has been going crazy for the last million years on the plaque. <laughs> on a plaque. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, All right. Oh, so we had the next one morning. chapter. Yep. Something to protect. Maneuver of McGonagall. And so we cut to the next morning. Harry wakes up in the infirmary where apparently he was taken after he'd collapsed in exhaustion the night before. And I guess it says the Philosopher's Stone was underneath his left sock. I'm not sure. She put that he, shit in his like, pouch. It's too important to stick in a sock. I think he mentioned that he didn't want to put it in his pouch because he was wondering what would happen if, you know, the stone of permanency went into his time, you know, space expanding pouch or something, but at least in a regular pocket, I would not stack it with my wallet and keys, you know, just 
randomly. <laughs> right? <laughs> you stick it in the, in the jelly jar and the, <laughs> in a dish full of jelly beans by the door. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, he needs to get, like make some dope amulet about it and dress all Doctor Strange. In a heartbeat. Yeah, and then and then he yes, but, and then he get a little bit older, he can grow like a dope ass goatee and act all. But then of course well no, he can just transfigure a goatee onto his face right now, right? Yeah, so that looked convincing. This is the first <laughs> like the one like the one guy in eighth grade that could grow a beard, but it was a really <laughs> bad idea. He's like that guy. He could make it a good beard. I mean, he'd have to age his uh, yeah, you'd have to do that. No, otherwise he's just, you know, then he's gonna you know, put on a Metallica t shirt and it just goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, we're at the head table, or we're looking at the head table the next morning at breakfast, and I'm going to let you drive for a minute so I can take a drink of water. All right. Uh, yeah, so this is all just sort of like break. This, again, just sort of like laying out the consequences. This is, does very much feel like sort of like the wind down of the plot. Um, but yeah, we're coming. We're like we're back in the the banquet hall things. We've got like all the teachers up on the dais you know, sitting there, but you know, we've conspicuously got the, I think they even use the word throne uh, for where Dumbledore would have been sitting. Like there isn't even his throne isn't there. It's just an empty spot. And then uh, what felt like a very star Wars description of Snape in a floating chair, like as his wheelchair is in some floaty, something, something. Um, and, and then we get to, and we hear that, um, we know Sprout's not there because she's sort of like being de-brainwashed and, and her, her brain's going to be picked over to see like, you know, how involved was she in, you know, how willing a bad guy was she and Harry made sure to like tell him, he's like, no, I'm pretty sure he sort of used his, his fake authority over like, Oh, I had visions of everything that's going on. And I'm pretty sure in my visions that I saw that Sprout is blameless, <laughs> but he just kind of wants to make sure he's like, he knows it's not her fault. Um, and nice to throw her sure. yeah, exactly. Um, and so then it's uh, then McGonagall comes in, and it wasn't until like the second read that I said, like, oh, she's not. They uh, specifically describing that she's not wearing her hat, which was like de- definitely always part of her shtick. Um, yeah, but, uh, even featuring. Uh, I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, uh, Maggie, Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. Yeah. I can't pick. I even can't picture her without a hat. Even know, having right? a finger without one. I know it's funny. Like especially like it's almost. I think they decided that um, because the other female wizards you saw, like Maggie Smith McGonagall, definitely looked like a witch, like old school, not in any kind of haggy way, but like she had the pointy hat, like the way she dressed, like ah yes, she's a witch. Um, and everybody else was like kind of more generically, um, you know, Hogwartsy kind of sorcerer vibe yeah, to them. Compare like Dumbledore and Snape. <laughs> Yeah, and and like Dumbledore had the like the whole Merlin Gandalf thing, which was also kind of a classic. But yeah, if you think because like who are the I'm trying to think like you have probably in a kind of sexist way, not a lot of other female wizards have grown. But you had uh, what was her name Hooch? Yeah, the the the, the gym coach woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically the lesbian gym teacher. Um, you had you did have Sprout. You had uh, what's evil bitch's name in pink? Um, Oh, Dolores Umbridge. Uh, yeah. yeah, Umbridge. Were there any other? Oh, and Trelawney. But yeah, none of those others had like Trelawney had like the hippie gypsy look. Umbridge didn't look like a witch at all. Um, Sprout looked more like a. Uh, I'm not sure how you just Sprout looked like somebody who lives in a cottage. Um, 
but yeah, like uh, Maggie Smith was the only one that they said like, okay, we're gonna make her look like a witch. So it was kind of cool. I did that. Um, so anyway, what time are we talking about? So yeah, she comes in and she's basically just announcing all the things to the students. She says, okay, um, Dumbledore is gone, um, t- taken outside of time. Um, oh yeah, Voldemort did come back, but don't worry, he's dead now. Um, Professor Quirrell died fighting Voldemort. And by the way, Quirrell was David Monroe. And also Hermione Granger's alive again. And Harry was kind of like, and, you know, people didn't jump up and down happy that Hermione was back, but mostly just because everybody was kind of shell-shocked by all the things that have happened. And I think word had already spread too. So it wasn't like news, news. But the, and the other thing that I like about this is like, this is still kind of like the coming down from the adrenaline rush chapter. <clears throat> and it's described that way from Harry's POV as well. Like it yeah. says that it surrounded his mind. It was like a Mylar blanket. And yeah. You know, somewhere, you know, like in the back of his mind, there was this, you know, the images of the shit he had done. Um, but yeah, he's, this is sort of like I'll, where it started. It. Yeah, he's like, I'll process it later, not now. You know, some the other adrenaline's time. wearing off and like the PTSD stage of the whole thing is starting to set in. It's like, okay, now you, things are slowing down enough that you can think about the horror that you just went through and <clears throat> like, oh shit, I just executed 37 people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but then, um, McGonagall's going through that laundry list and then she comes again and she's like, and oh yeah, whole bunch of you just had your parents slaughtered. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and that, that's where it just she a, names them all off. Yeah. It does the no, no, no kind of like crescendo. Yeah. And, and that's where Harry was like wondering, cause I guess Harry didn't know if um, Lucius Malfoy was on the list and uh, McGonagall names Draco last. I think it said for him, like he hadn't even thought about it. Yeah, like which yeah, is kind of true for me too. <laughs> I got well, yeah, too much yeah, other shit going on. That's what I like about it is that it worked really well. It put us in his shoes, like exactly. It's like, no, nah, it didn't even occur to me that he just killed his, you know, one of his best friends' dad, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it would have eventually, but I haven't had time to process. Yeah. So uh, then he's like you said, he's hoping like maybe Lucius realized he's smart enough to stay away, but no, Draco's on the list too, including Crab and Goyle and Theodore, not like. All these people it's, that it's, friends it's, with. It's every everybody that you know. I cannot think of a Death Eater kid that we know of that wasn't named right then. Yeah, same. Uh, and then what was the interesting thing for me in this chapter was the way as this as the kind of like the PTSD is sinking in with Harry and he's kind of just like starting to digest the horror of what he had to do and, and going through all of those kind of like mental gyrations around it. It felt very um, different. It reminded me, and I can't remember it exactly. It was one of the times, it was like one of the times he was arguing with Dumbledore about like he's, you know, kind of sitting in moral judgment over what, I can't even remember what it was, but um, he basically says like, okay, that person has like surrendered their right to be, you know, not killed. Right, they're talking about Lord Jugson. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and like this, and, and he pretty much did it, like that because Jugson was one of them. Like he just fucking executed the dude. Yeah, and um, so now three students. It looks like Robert, Ethan, and Sarah were all Jugsons. Yeah. And so, like even before when he's arguing with Dumbledore about it, it didn't occur to him like, oh yeah, if we do kill Jugson, his uh, recently, uh, I don't know, not orphans necessarily, but uh, whatever parents orphaned or children will be affected like yeah. in his, in his moment of like, oh, yeah, he probably made a bunch of widows and widowers. Yeah. In his, in his moments of like righteous fury, he wasn't even thinking about those consequences. He's thinking of like the political fallout, like, Oh, I'll handle that part. But he's not thinking of like the, the people he'll impact by it. 
And what if you're some like wizard wife and your husband was secretly a Death Eater and had never told you, and this was how you found out? Because like him wearing his like Death Eater stuff beheaded in the middle of a cemetery is kind of hard to deny. <laughs> so you're like, oh, f- oh, really? Yeah, that'd be quite the quite the shock. Yeah, bummer. Um, um, there was, uh, you know, that also it makes it occurs to me too. I wonder if all of these students, if all of their parents were like publicly Death Eaters. Um, yeah, because like if not, this would be a terrible way for you to find out that not only is he- oh, yeah, like yeah, even your kid didn't know. Yeah, like you're also outing that kid's, uh, um, you know, parents' yeah. uh, extracurricular hijinks to people, right? So, <laughs> hijinks. Um, yeah, but uh, but what I was gonna say that like this, like all of this, like Harry kind of torturing himself about it, reminded me of like it would like what a difference it was to those other times that like this is, and so I liked it, it was kind of like Harry, even while he's you know, telling himself, yeah, you know what? You didn't really have a choice. Um, and this is what you should like, if you had to do this over again, you should do the same thing again. But like, but that still feels, I still feel terrible about it. It kind of like had a, it was the opposite of kind of that self-righteousness that Harry used to have um, without even needing to, it wasn't that he was like abandoning the necessity of, of what he did, but it was like, okay, yeah, even though it was, this still sucks, which sort of, now having said that, that kind of reminds me of the way Dumbledore would talk about the shitty things he had to do. He's like, you know, you don't enjoy it. Um, you still have to do it, but it's not anything to be happy about. All I can picture is that meme of, from the anime where it's that guy like with his hand pointing at a butterfly and it's like, is this something? <laughs> <laughs> is this character growth? <laughs> is this character growth? <laughs> or the opposite, is this justice? I, I, I like it. Um, there is also a note that I really liked here too. Uh after they conclude the the list of of people who lost their parents, a single Gryffindor lets out like a, a whoop, and oh yeah, they smack him across the face. Yeah, he's immediately slapped by the witch sitting nearby, hard enough that a Muggle would have lost teeth. <laughs> and she gives him, uh, you know, a month detention next year and thirty points or deduction or whatever. But I just like, I like that, that we just sort you of know, the, this universe that wizards can take a punch. Like we just yeah, that it, at least. Thing. It, yeah, I like that it was just it had to be background facts to explain how people didn't die playing Quidditch every game. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, then there's that moment too where then Jugson gets up and he's like, lies, the Dark Lord shall return and he'll teach you all the meaning of whatever, presumably the meaning of suffering or something. Mm-hmm. And Snape cuts in, like I said, uncharacteristically calm. And he's just like, I know it's a Robert, cool scene. Yeah, Robert, yeah. the Dark Lord killed your father. And I know it's just like the quietness to it and they're like, it's over, kid. Yeah, and now like again, this 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 does that thing where it does line breaks without punctuation or or mm-hmm. capitalization or whatever. Where he's going to go over and talk to Draco, and there's just like this kind of panic running through his head, and he's like, "What? You can't go over there and make it right. There's nothing you can do to make it right. You just like what you've done to him and Vincent and Gregory and Theodore." And mm-hmm. um, so he he kind of just fails to get up and make a motion to go over that way. And uh, this is like he said, where he, he's thinking about the you know his. his Science fiction and fantasy collection and his inner Mad Eye Moody and Mad Eye is like, no man, of course he had to do it, and it was the right thing to do. Um, yeah, but it was like, but you know what? I still feel good about it. Yeah, which yeah. you know that sounds like the uh, one of the, the well, yeah, and like you don't want people to feel great about it. Yeah, <laughs> like glad he did it, but you're also glad he didn't like doing it. I wouldn't want to be the kind of person who would feel great about doing it, even if it was the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, 
So yeah, it's just kind of that. And then some wizard teacher who I felt like I was supposed to remember who that was and I didn't <laughs> walked in and she teaches uh, astronomy. I thought, yeah, I didn't. What was her, which I can't Professor remember. Sinestra, who very, Sinestra, yeah. like, what's the word? Uh, unsatisfyingly was canonically the head of House Ravenclaw. What? Because in the, in the canon books, the other, you know, the two houses that no one's in, no oh, one yeah, gets. I never paid much attention, attention, yeah. Wasn't, and and so, Sprout is the head of Hufflepuff, yeah. Right. But Sinestra, a, a teacher who got no screen time in the books, was apparently entered in an interview as the head of, Sli- of Hufflepuff, or wait, Ravenclaw. To no one's satisfaction. So, uh, Yukaski wisely made Flitwick the head of that house because he, he actually got screen oh, yeah. time in the original book too. Yeah, like it made, it made no sense. So, f- in the original books, Flitwick was just some other professor and not the head of a house. I guess, yeah. Yeah, All right. yeah. You got to he got promoted here in a way that I think is totally earned. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is where Sinestro walks in ceremoniously carrying the sorting hat. Yes, crowning, which I don't recall this as being a thing at all in the original books, that the sorting hat was somehow like the crown of the headmaster. Um, but it was kind of cool. Um, because, yeah, so she and she puts the hat on McGonagall's head, and then the hat yells out, Headmistress! In the, I guess in the same way that it would have shouted out a house name. Yeah. And there's that moment where she says that as Albus isn't dead, I'll only take the role, you know, until he comes back. And uh, then Fox. Which totally Fox, makes him sound like Jesus at that point. I know, right? But <laughs> like, this non specific promise of a thing that's never going to happen. I think it'd be unrealistic to expect that Dumbledore might come back in her lifetime, but who knows? But I mean, there's still like three or four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the moment, though, where Fox kind of. it's yeah. it, This looks like very much the ending of an episode, right? Where. Yeah. He does a lap across the room and like his hum seems to say, wait, wait until his return and be true. And then he just flies out the window and is gone. Yeah. So it was sort of like, yeah, I took it as like that, which it said explicitly, but then it was also sort of like Fox giving McGonagall the Phoenix seal of approval. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then the next chapter is, it's basically the Quirrell eulogy. Yes. Um, Something to protect Quirinus, or wait, Professor Quirrell, which is actually kind of fun. It's not something to protect, you know, Quirinus Quirrell or what. I mean, it, it it's Professor. There, there, this is the the uh, the legacy of Professor Quirrell as he was to the public, right? And whether or not he was was an asshole, leaving that aside for a second, this, this isn't about uh, you know the the truth. This is about protecting this this person's legacy, even if this person was never real. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting how it like, uh, were sort of shown at like the birth of like completely fabricated mythology around him, like starting to just make facts up and, and assuming things like you get to see like the birth of rumors, um, about like what he would have done to fight Voldemort and, um, and how Hermione was involved in that. And they're just kind of like, just making shit up. Um, and Harry's just sort of like, and that's, so Harry was asked multiple times to give the eulogy, um, and he repeatedly refused. Um, it didn't like click for me until we got like halfway through it that, well, of course, because the whole eulogy is going to be full of all kinds of lies. Um, that's going to be hard enough for him to just sit there quietly and hear them. And he wouldn't want to be, you know, have to participate in creating some of them. I think he, he, it says he'd also been asked by Flitwick some weeks ago in May. Um, 
but Harry had said no then too. I think he just wasn't comfortable giving a eulogy. Uh, yeah. In well, I th- so I mean, yeah, but then also like I think once you see this playing out, like how much lying there was going to have to be involved, uh, and that right, he didn't want to have decline. to run through that. Yeah, so it makes sense why he would decline the second time he got offered it, but the first time in May, I think he declined. You know, he didn't know he was Voldemort at the time, right? So it says that Flitwick, Flitwick asked him some weeks ago, and he he said that he had declined then. Um, what do you mean? Didn't so, know it was Voldemort by the time it by the time you know to be asking for a eulogy for Quirrell, Harry knows that. No, Quirrell had been Voldemort. sick and dying for weeks. Oh, and that Flitwick was asking him to give a eulogy just when they thought he was going to die of sickness. Yeah, so well, it's like, I guess hey, I Harry, when Quirrell dies, you know, in the next few weeks or months or something, do you want to give his eulogy? Harry had said no. Oh, I get you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't put that together. Oh, because I guess, okay, I, in like my misunderstanding out, I had seen this as, oh, we've now jumped quite a bit ahead because that like, oh, I asked you a long time ago was after the whole blow up in the cemetery thing. Oh, I see. No, I think this is explicitly so like oh, okay. two days after the announcement okay. Um, okay. where she says, uh, McGonagall says something about how he, you know, he's having, it's kind of, uh, kind of funny. Like it says that David Monroe's funeral, his second one and true one will be held at the ministry uh-huh. of magic doing this thing. When in fact, neither David Monroe's funerals had been the real one. <laughs> um, the real David Monroe was just eliminated off screen somewhere. Right. So uh-huh. you know, he died at some point died quote unquote at some point during the wizarding war when he disappeared. And then, uh, and so yeah. now like according to that whole weird, their yeah. whole weird, uh, dated nobility set of rules around like the last person of a great house, yada, yada. Um, if everybody knew the truth, then it really is now that Harry would, that the, the potters are the next great noble house because of avenging the death of Quarrel. If Coral really was, or is it David? Monroe? Who was that? Was it avenging the death of David Monroe, or avenging the death of? Well, I guess they think it's David Monroe, but yeah, that's how Harry's house became to be ennobled. Apparently, was it Monroe or Coral? Monroe. Coral okay. was from nobody. Um, um, but weren't they saying that? So they weren't saying that Coral was a a noble house. No, Monroe was. Uh, okay, Monroe. Was. Uh, okay, but oh, but they think that's who it was. Right. And our understanding is that there was a real. David Monroe at some point, but this is not him. Yeah, the the David Monroe that rose to prominence during the Wizarding War was never even the, the real one. Um, Voldemort killed him subtly somewhere, and then killed his entire family so oh, that he could come back to the house and be like, "Oh no, they're all dead!" and then go on this crusade okay. against the theaters. Um, so, that, so the real David Monroe was never anybody special. It was right, just the identity that Voldemort took over. And now it occurs to me that. Uh, Harry's house was ennobled for, well, I guess you could get the, the for killing Voldemort, fight. right? And that's how, yeah. So I think that that probably still is valid because they did. Oh yeah. Had, Cause he did kill David Monroe. Yeah. I just don't know that that's how. Well, yeah, I think so. You know, if the secret were ever to get out, the David Monroe was in fact Voldemort, then that would get rid of the weird nobility nonsense. But I'm thinking, leave all that in place. I think Harry's house gets to stay nobled because he did technically avenge a noble house uh, by yeah, because Voldemort Dumbledore. did kill the real David Monroe, and Harry did kill Voldemort. So right, even if it was a temporary killing, Q-E-D. but then, then he my, oh, but he's not, but he hasn't killed him. He's emeraldized him. But then Hermione has, as far as the public knows, also killed Voldemort. Has she also avenged the House of Monroe? Does she get to be uh, noble? How many times you get to kill a guy? Yeah, it seems unfair. Hmm. You just you know, 
do she it over, is, and over. She is immortal now, though. So she's yeah. Oh, that reminds me. There was a great line in the previous chapter where, like, her, you know, Flitwick is with. It says she said something about how Flitwick was with Hermione, um, and that to see if there's any lasting after effects from whatever happened to her. But she appears to be doing astonishingly well considering her previous condition. <laughs> it's <clears throat> like yeah now she's been all trollified and unicornized well what's funny is like yeah she's doing well she's given her buffed. previous condition that her previous condition was dead it's, <laughs> so it's like of course she's doing well because she's, she's not dead anymore she's just, less like, dead. that almost seems like a joke that is is thrown in there but i see where she's coming from um yes i mean she's doing well got better yeah <laughs> <laughs> we just watched the first half hour of that the other night i can't even remember which one that is is that that's the uh, uh, Holy Grail. Holy Grail, yeah. I kind of they all kind of like run together in my head these days. They're the the scenes they're dragging the witch to before the guy at the whatever town square. Well, how do you know she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt, and he just looks at him. Oh, that's like, right. I got better. I got better. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, so. Uh, whatever students giving the eulogy is. You know, like I said, kind of inventing this mythos and kind of making up facts about what happened there. Like, not necessarily. She's she's couching it in maybe's and stuff, but she's she's painting it up as this big badass thing, and and it's it's kind of touching and and sad. Like to them, this was their you know their badass uh, whatever. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good stand-in from other fiction. You know, I, it's you know if you, if you learn that sherlock was unceremoniously hit by a bus it wouldn't be all that interesting right you would want to mm-hmm. if if all the public knew was that uh you know that he had died they might make up some awesome story about it and that's kind of what's going on here um and it's uh um i don't know they're they're speculating that maybe something about that uh would have been like how hermione came back uh, yeah. or something and then if uh if Quirrell slash David Monroe hadn't been so sick that he might've been able to defeat Voldemort. Yeah. It seems like, you know, telling everyone, by the way, he was also Voldemort would have not been popularly received. (laughs) Truth. Right. Yes. And our original, and what we had been told a while ago was that, that the real Quirinus Quirrell was the one was like, some adventury kind of guy who stumbled onto one of um, Voldemort's early Horcruxes. Right. And that's how he was able to get off the pioneer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not clear. Bad luck. Quirrell. Yeah. No one's like, seems to wonder who, who Quirinus Quirrell was. Maybe they just think that, you know, David Monroe found some ethical way to steal his face. Um, you know, cause yeah, because yeah, because they're all well, but didn't they say like they kept being like, oh, we don't know who this guy is. Like they didn't know, so I guess we know that there was a real Quirinus Quirrell, but that whenever anybody tried to look into his background, they couldn't find anything. No, they knew that the real Quirinus Quirrell had been sort of. Oh, that's right. Law. Yeah, and they knew yeah. like when he went to Hogwarts and the whole. Yeah, and so then when when Professor Quirrell as Voldemort is giving like his speeches about you know when I was a young Slytherin and stuff. So when the ministry is looking into that after the defense professor rises to the level of suspicion for anything, they're like, hold up a minute. You're not the, uh, you know, none of this, none of this is lining up. It never occurs to them to ask like, by the way, what happened to like the actual Quirinus squirrel guy? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh yeah. Especially when they think, yeah, they think he's David Rowling. Yeah. It's like, shut up. Moving on. 
Not important. What did you do to Quirinus? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Um, He's on vacation. Yeah, somewhere, probably. He's he's he's, he's on a farm upstate. <laughs> right. Um so yeah, I'm I'm assuming the, the name of this student is uh is like an Eniash Brodsky is the name of an actual person. I'm assuming I'm I'm assuming so too, yeah. Um so yeah, and the and like just the thing kind of floating in the back of Harry's mind is like, okay, because they're talking about like, oh, you know, um Coral will be remembered for blah, 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 forever and ever. Uh, and what Harry's saying silently in his head is he's thinking about like, oh, you know, I've got him on my ring right now. Um, is that like, oh, and what he says is, uh, what's the actual words he uses? Uh, I'll show you someday. I'll show you how to be happy. He's like, okay, you know, I'm going to, going to make you okay. And that was the part that like, it's totally stuck. I guess it is so difficult even to hear you talking about it. Like I, like I have very little sympathy at all or like, uh, like, Quirrell is just this, like, oh, everybody would like to be seen like that, but there's nothing about him that you would ever want to be. You'd like to be powerful and impressive, but you wouldn't want to act or think or feel in any of the ways that he does. I think Harry wants to make him into the kind of person that would that you would want to act and look and think yeah. and feel like, right? Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, but, I mean, you could say that about all kinds of people. Like, why do? You, there's some kind of like unhealthy attraction to why somebody who displays none of those characteristics, why do you feel an urge to try to, you know, turn your abusive boyfriend good? Um, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the, what's the attraction? What's the urge to do that? In this particular case, it's because Harry is a mind clone of, uh, you know, it feels like it's more than that it doesn't feel like it's about that because he because at least for like for me it feels like it's coming from the same kind of idol worship place that he always had but even way before he knew um that they had that connection yeah no i I was i was just going to open with that i think that there's there's more to it than that um before i forget i keep needing to not be distracted by this uh the person giving the eulogy is actually a, a male student but in the audiobook it's a female and I'm not sure if it was changed after the fact or if Ineos just liked the the woman's voice who nailed it because she did a great job doing it um, and decided to switch it on us for the audiobook. But in any case, I kept referring to the person giving the eulogy as a her, but in the book, it's a him. It doesn't really matter. But I, I realized when I was skimming the page, I'm like, wait, who's this guy? Who's Oliver? And Oliver is the guy giving the eulogy. So, oh, they, um, changed the, they changed the name in the book too, or in the audiobook. I'll have to listen to the audiobook again, what the person's name is, but I could have sworn... Maybe it was Olivia or something. Maybe in the words, I have of no Sanford. idea. I guess I'll find. Maybe that. Oliver's just a high talker. He's just a high talker. <laughs> that was a good episode too. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, but I, I think it's you know like um, you could imagine Watson, you know, as part of their years together, trying to show Holmes how to not be an asshole, right? Like, yeah. and if he thought that he could help him be a better person, which I think he did, that was probably one of his you know goals in hanging out with him. Um, you know, not, not because well, so I'm curious, like, is what's your, do you see, cause I could totally get like the Watson or the, or the, I mean the Holmes or the house thing. Um, and, and that is pretty similar, but like, they seem different to me in that. And maybe this is like how our impressions differ. Do you see quarrel slash Voldemort as having some sort of 
hidden away element of humanity because that's what feels there like for homes and house like important to the appeal for them is that the idea that there's this buried kind of benevolence that they just have trouble showing um but that it's there like because house helps people like they both help people they just are very surly about it while they do it but like that's what feels very different about quarrels like there's no like it's just all maliciousness um but maybe like is that uh, do you see it differently? Do you do you see like a like oh there's some kind of hidden goodness inside him? Um, it's hard to say. Like uh, in Voldemort, I don't think so. But I think it's it's understandable not just because Harry's a, you know his tactically mind clone, but I think Harry projects a lot of himself onto Professor Quirrell because he sees parts of himself in Professor Quirrell. Yeah, so he, he kind of reflects himself back onto him. But I know that when they were uh, when. Uh, Quirrell slash Voldemort was doing his like history dump on Harry back when they're making that potion in the third floor corridor. He says something about like, you know, were you happy as Lord Voldemort then? And Quirrell says, well, you know, it seems like you already know the answer to that one. Mm-hmm. Harry says, then why, why be Voldemort if it doesn't even make you happy? I'm you, I'm based on you. So I know that professor Quirrell isn't just a mask. I know he's somebody you could have really been. And so I think that Harry is quite understandably kind of, like I said, projecting, what he believes that Tom Riddle is capable of being. And he's like, look, I know you can be better than this. And it's, uh, you know, if maybe if he had the opportunity, Harry would do this for every death eater or something too. Right. But uh, he doesn't have the same kind of attachment to them as he does to uh, this one. Um, So I think uh, it's, I don't know if I'm talking myself in circles or not, but no, I, yeah, no, I think I understand. I, yeah, it's still, but like even him saying even those kinds of things, it's still like so rings with the vibe of the abused girlfriend. Like, oh, you could be so much better. It's like, well, why, why are you invested? There's a world full of people that already are better people. <laughs> like, why is it so important to try to make this one shitty person stop being shitty? <laughs> um, I guess I've got two more answers to that. One is that I don't think that despite some of the, uh, like parallels. I don't think the relationship between Harry and Quirrell was ever quite like the relationship between an abused spouse and, you know, the abuser, right? Like it, I, I can see how that's, that's a, uh, an easy place to like, it was, go I mean, yeah. I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't have the, that like level to it, but I like, I was reminded of like one of those early scenes of Harry coming into Quirrell's office and Quirrell just kind of getting all in his face and being like, you know, basically I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to yell at you. And, and Harry was kind of like, well, I could be somebody that you could talk to and would understand. And it's, it felt so like submissive um, and just sort of like, like, Oh, thank you for the opportunity to, to, you know, let you vent on me. Um, I, I, I can see that. I think that like the other way is that if I went to a friend's house and they're like, you're not in a bad mood. I'm like, Hey man, that's all right. You want to be in a bad mood for a bit? You know, I'm still here for you. I think that's more how I took it. Yeah. But I could so totally you didn't see it as like you didn't see it as like having like a hostility, to, not just like oh I'm in a bad mood, but like I'm in a bad mood and I'm going to take it out on you. That's the, and that's like the key difference to me is, um, yeah, that's, I, how, that's that's how it felt. I see what you're saying. I I I didn't take it that way. I think that it was more of like the kind of like being there for a friend sort of thing. And like your friend isn't taking it out on you. They're just pissed near you, right? About something else. But you volunteered to be there while they're pissed. And yet like the the dynamic between the two of them very much was like, you know, the the master and the apprentice kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so it's, it's a yeah, different we'll say apprentice. We'll, we'll use that word apprentice. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> the master is good. You're all, you're all over it with master. Oh, please. <laughs> all right. This seems like a good time to point out that there actually is a, a literary term for kind of this, uh, these aftermath chapters. And uh, I think it's common in a lot of books where they, I think it's called aftercare where, and apparently you're going to love this. This is a, at least, I don't know if this is the term for it in, in, liter- in literature or not, but it's a term that I heard connected to it at the end of the last Perihumans book, um, where in, in my understanding is in some BSDM relationships or uh, whatever you call them, uh, not relation, the relationship is more broad. Um, Dom, subs, I don't know. It's yeah, but, but I just after, like making fun of it. After a Dom sub session, there's a there's a time of like aftercare where it's like all right I was just abusive to you but now I care about you and I'm gonna you know take it easy and, and relax with you and stuff. Apparently oh, that's, that's adorable. And so calling this aftercare, I knew you'd get a big kick out of that. <laughs> but the uh, so where was I going with all that? Um, oh, because I called a master and apprentice. Yeah. So the 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 vibe there. Uh, I don't know. Like I I think that the other main thing is just that Harry. Like I said, I, I I feel like at this point I'm talking myself in circles and I'm going to blame the blood loss. Um, <laughs> it's that he, he very understandably sees part of himself in Professor Quirrell, the, not not Voldemort, but in the person that he saw per, as Professor Quirrell. He was like, oh, mm. I know who this guy is. Yeah, he's he's a bit rough around the edges, but I can tell he's secretly one of the good guys. That's how he, you know, uh, explicitly thought about him. Right. And it turns out he was wrong. He was, you know, explicitly one of the bad guys. Um, the bad guy, but he's like, no, I, I, I know that there's a way to make you into a better person. And I have the means to do that. And why be so obsessive about doing it with this person? Probably because there's not an easy other way to deal with him. Right. Like he can't just kill him. So, I mean, well, yeah, I, mean, I like that's my other impression of this chapter was like your, your take on all this. Like, I don't think you're imagining that. Like, I think that's there and written into it. Um, but it's, yes, yeah, but some, sometimes, the opposite because I think there was definitely lots and lots of times we're very much supposed to see that like, not only is this behavior on Quirrell's part, not okay, but there's something weird and unhealthy about Harry continuing to sign off on it. Um, so those are like both there and they kind of contradict each other. Um, but no, like it did, it was, it was that's kind of what stuck out in this chapter was like, you know, this sympathy for Quirrell's not like imaginary. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's signing off on his behavior. He's signing off on who he saw Professor Quirrell as. Not as well, all, all of the weird way, all of the the blind spots Harry would have, um, like trying to overlook, and and so much of it that like because Quirrell was very often just straight up abusive to not just Harry, but and not, I mean if you don't want to like graduate to that level of the of that adjective, but just condescending and dismissive and having no empathy or or you know caring about the the um, well-being of anybody else. Yeah. I think Snape was more abusive. Like, you know, he was the one who would yell at and belittle and make students cry and give them a hard time. Snape or Quirrell was just like, yeah, you know, Snape's a great example though. Cause Snape is somebody that you can see as like, okay, yes. Like, yeah, totally even more like classically abusive. Um, But you can also see like, oh, there actually is, a human underneath that who's like fucked up and doing fucked up shit. Um, but you're like, Oh, there's an actual like decent human being buried in there somewhere. Um, whereas I like, like feels we're we, we never get to told there's not. Yeah. Like, 
he 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 really just does like being Voldemort because it's the least boring job he's ever had, yeah. and yeah. it's uh, you know I. You know, maybe you get the impression that that Snape likes kicking students when they're down and enjoys making them cry, but like that's because of oh, he had a sad childhood and you know, yeah. his girlfriend died or whatever, or he's wanted to be. Yeah, you feel like, and there is a like, there's a backstory there and a reason for it. Yeah, whereas Voldemort is just this hollow, uh, you know, shell of a person. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, I'm gonna pull out the there was a couple of great comments in the reddit thread that i liked about this last episode yeah that's what i mean and we kept getting shown like we were given explicit opportunities to like okay right here is a point where if there were going to be a backstory to explain this behavior we would tell you right here and we're not it was sort of like underlined the fact that no there is no backstory he's just psycho yeah because we don't ever get to see the like oh poor young tom riddle was abused and misunderstood and kind of like that snape kind of story like we don't get that at all we just like okay he's just sort of like this hyper powerful super evil thing that just sort of arose out of nowhere yeah no i, I think you're right and uh that was actually put well succinctly by um there was a couple of good comments i try to read the reddit threads every time um but i'm usually a couple of days late uh that chron oblivion puts up for these um feeping creature had a nice uh, way of succinctly putting it. He says, uh, or they say, um, I think broken is meant more in the sense of quote, a broken implementation of the human being spec. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And uh, there was also a good way to put it where he quoted you, or excuse me, I'm sorry. They quoted you saying, uh, this is how level one wizard turns into a level 12 wizard. And then they say, ah, mass murder is such an ugly term. I prefer to think of it as XP grinding. (laughs) (laughs) XP grinding. Yes. And as long as I'm pulling out notes from the Reddit thread, there's a great, uh, um, it's kind of a complete. Those level one goblins aren't going to kill themselves. Right. Makes me think of that uh, World of Warcraft episode of South Park. Oh, yeah. Where they they have to beat the guy who, or, yeah, who's broken the game. So they spend like a summer punching or, yeah, killing boars in the woods for two XP. (laughs) Um, This is a bit of a tangent, but this is a great comment from, uh, Sharer Faf. I'm sure that that's short for something because their F and F are both capitalized, but sorry about that. Um, that the, uh, um, as far as the final exam, like not feeling satisfying. Um, cause you mentioned that last week that, and I, I think that's kind of fair. It was, there was some good co- discussion about it in the discord, uh, thread or whatever you call discord comment chains for this episode mm-hmm. as well, but I didn't pull any of those quotes. Um, so if anyone wants to check out the Discord, go to the BayesianConspiracy.com and click the Discord link there and jump in and uh, chat with all those nerds, um, including me. Uh, us nerds, let me put it that way. Minus Brian, because you're too cool for Discord, which is a smart <laughs> thing. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, the, the the commenter pointed out that they weren't there um, for the, like, the solve. They didn't participate in it, but that they didn't feel like it was very satisfying. And I think that, uh, well, to, to paraphrase, they said... Um, I think that might've been part of the point. Like in the real world, finding the right solution can be really hard. And while the Bucky tubes don't deliver the same narrative, aha, that I might be used to, it reflects the very real challenge of tracking all the potentially relevant information, even with the stuff without an obvious sign saying, attention, this is a Chekhov's gun. Um, so like, that's not uh, meant to be just cool, but like thematic to the book. Um, like it, it's supposed to be, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, you know, according to the author or not, but I like that. I like this phrasing and it's or this interpretation. And now it's my interpretation too. So thanks for letting me rip it off. Reddit commenter. 
whose name I butchered, but um, <laughs> that like, you know, real solutions don't, you know, in, in real life, they don't have the, you know, if you look back to like, all right, what do I do to solve this? There's nothing labeled. This is the Chekhov gun, right? This is what you need to solve it. And like, it might not have a great aha feeling, but it's going to be like the, uh, like that, that might kind of be one of the, the point the author was going for in the book. Um, I think I guess might, I, like, I liked the book. I liked nerdy. it as a, I liked it as being it was very nerdy. Um, and it's sort of like a, you know, rabbit out of the hat, you know, trick, like it came out of nowhere. So, but in order to like sort of make it work in, in my head, I had to like just completely erase the whole sense of like, Oh, this is a, you know, a puzzle to be solved. And, um, like it, it only worked to sort of like embrace the silliness and completely like, it's like totally not plausible at all. I mean, not even just like suspension of disbelief and a book full of wizards and stuff. It was like so over the top silly and like, you can't like magically float, you know, threads of yada yada over there. Um, like I, I had in my head turned the, the ridiculous of it into a feature and not a thing to be overlooked. Yeah, I think there was a fun component there that if we get a chance to talk to the author about it, I'd be interested in asking because in the Discord comments about it, um, people are pointing out that like, you know, actually, I don't think that made that much sense. And it wasn't dissatisfying. Like, and apparently, early on, like watching the uh, whatever solutions come in, Eliezer had like, uh, like he had written himself into a corner where he had to use this solution because he had already alluded to it, you know, at the beginning of the book. but he, he said that there were, and I, I didn't see like a link to where he said it. Cause I'm, so I'm curious, like what, apparently he had said that there were some other solutions that he liked more or that were like, were clever or something. And I'm really curious which ones those were. I, I've read a handful of them and some of them are really fun. Um, but I'm wondering if like, there was one that he's like, oh yeah, I wish I'd done that. Um, but that said, I thought it was fun. And like the fact that it was like solvable on its own. I remembered how much fun I had watching the first episode of BBC Sherlock and granted, we had a clue that he didn't like. We got to see the opening scene with like the person getting in a car, um, but the the big thing at the end was like all these people had had intentionally gone to a secondary location with somebody with a stranger and like what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the guy's a cab driver. And like five minutes later, Sherlock puts it together that it's a cab driver. But the fun for me being able to figure it out, like because I had the clues and and beating Sherlock to it was a fun too. But the fact that like I was able to participate in the puzzle solving made that episode so enjoyable and I was immediately hooked. And so like, I think that there's a big enjoyment factor from that. So like with this one, you know, the clues were laid out and stuff and I had a good time like being like, Oh yeah, of course. And Oh yeah, I see where that came from. That said, I don't think it was the obvious solution um, or like, you know, even the most plausible, but it was still fun that like nothing came out of nowhere. Right. It came out of basically nowhere, which is fun, but that's a lot more fun than literally nowhere. So that was my very long way to take on it. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I don't think I have much else to talk about during this. Um, <clears throat> what do we got? So we only got what four chapters left. Uh, we just did one eighteen. Was it good or one twenty two? Right. Yeah. So we're gonna I do know, what two and two. No, I think we're gonna do three and one. The last one, I think we'll have, you know, some time to talk about the whole book and stuff after that one. And I don't want to just shoehorn in the very, you know, short chapter before that. So I think for next week, we're going to do chapters 119, 120, and 121. 
the penultimate episode. Then we'll have to do a good uh, retro with somebody. Yeah. One way or another, we're doing retro after 122. So I guess there will be two more chap- two more episodes covering the book and then one more retro. And then maybe we'll take a week off or something and then we'll do our next project. So, all right. Well, it's worth mentioning that 119 is one of my favorites of the book. So I'm looking forward to it. I think we're yeah. getting Hermione back. At least I did cheat enough a few weeks ago to see the title. We know Hermione's not going to be off stage for the entire rest of the book. I mean, Quirrell was Maybe off stage for his whole chapter, you know? I guess that's true. You would be so pissed Same. if Hermione never got, got back in front of the I, camera. Know, I, I have a feeling that I think I'm going to be a little disappointed. It feels like we a little bit turned Hermione into more of an NPC than I would have liked. I, um, we're running out of time to turn the volume back up on her. I'm going to so. register the, the advanced prediction that you are satisfied with Hermione's treatment. Oh, good. Oh, good. We'll see if that pans out. All right. Well, I think there's an epinata on the table here for this whenever we're back <laughs> outside. I hope someone's keeping score because we weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next week, we'll come back. Same time, same place for chapters 119, 120, and 121. Word. See you next time, everybody. This is great. This is where you say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Click. Hey, hey, did you, did you forget something? Uh, yeah, super easy, barely an inconvenience. What? I was getting in my car and I just had this huge urge that I should come back and say that to you. What does it mean, though? I don't know. I just felt like people would get mad if I didn't say that. What people? I don't know.